Okay, Boker Tov, good morning. Welcome back to Parsha Perspectives for today. Thank you for your continued flexibility. Baruch Hashem, traveling for Simchas, so I won't apologize, but uh, I'm grateful that you are willing to uh, ride this fun adventure of uh, different days for the Shirim as we celebrate these Simchas. Our, our uh, Parsha series is generously sponsored by Becky and Avi Katz and family in memory of David Grossman, Lila Nishmas, David Ben Menachem Manish. This morning, Shir is sponsored by Judy and Mitch Tarragon and family in memory of Jerry Tarragon, Yoshua Dove Ben Rebazriel on his first year at site is Neshama Shavan Aliyah, and by Lee and Danny Waxman of Cedarhurst, New York, Zech Nishmas, Danny's mother, whose 10th year at site is Rosh Chodesh Sivan, Neshama Shavan Aliyah as well. Thank you so much to our generous sponsors. We greatly, greatly appreciate it. Okay, this week we have the privilege and pleasure of beginning the fourth book of the Torah, the book of Bamidbar, page 770, uh, that is not the page, page 726 in the Arts Scroll Stone, Chumash. Hashem spoke to Moshe, and here the Torah goes out of its way, deviates from its unusual practice to give us the topography of the land in which the message is delivered. Not only that Hashem spoke to Moshe, but where? The coordinates, the geography, the topography. It was in the desert. It was in the Omoed. It was on the first day of the second month in the second year. From what count? Based on what calculation? From when they left Egypt? Lemur. And he did so saying. He did so saying the following. Our book has several names. We know this book as the book of... If you were to tell people, I went to a Pasha class today, and we studied the Parsha and the beginning of the book of? It's not a trick question. You can all get it right. Bamidbar, Chumash Bamidbar, the fourth book of the Torah. And that is the name Medrash in the med- mentioned in the Medrash Bereshis Rabbah. However, among Chazal, we have different names for this book. And this is all quoted in the Otsar Plos HaTorah. He says, first of all, it's called Sefer Vayedaber. There are several Midrashim, Bereshus Rabbah, Medrash Tanchum, and Pashas Kisisa, who refer to it as the book of Vayidaber, the book of God speaking to Moshe and through Moshe to us. That's the name that Rashi uses in several places. Similar to Bereshus Vayikra. It makes sense. We have many books who are named after the first word of that book. The first word of this book is Vayidaber. It makes sense the book be known as Vayidaber. Alternatively, a third option, we have Bamidbar, we have Vidaber, or Chumash Pekudim. Chazal, our rabbis call it Chumash Pekudim, which is the book of counting, the book of countings. It's mentioned this way in the Mishnah, Mishnah in Yuma, Mishnah in Menachos, the Tosefta in Megillah, the Zohar, they call it the Chumash Pekudim. This is the volume, the third book, the book of counting. Shem Zem Nafutz Mo'od B'Shas. It's mentioned in several places in Shabbos and many Midrashim because that characterizes the book, which we'll study in a moment. We'll see more in depth in a moment. The notion of counting, being counted, counting. Or a fourth option. So we have Bamidbar, Vayidaber, Pekudim, or Sefer Hayashar. The Yerushalmi in Meseches Sota quotes a Pasuk in Shmuel, Halo Iksuva Sefer Hayashar. And the Gemara there asks, the Yerushalmi asks, what is Sefer Hayashar? And the Gemara answers, Machlokas Amoraim. One says the book of Bereshis, the Avos were Yashar. You know, in Israel, if you get lost and you're looking for directions, what do they tell you? Yashar, Yashar. Yashar means? It's never, by the way, straight. It's never Yashar, Yashar. That's another way of saying, I don't have time for you. Yashar, Yashar. Yashar means straight. Be straight, be honest, have integrity. 
Who were the first who taught us this? The prerequisite to the Torah, Derech Eretz Torah. Even before you study and live Torah, first you have to live with Derech Eretz, with good quality and good character. And who taught us that? The Avos. So the first opinion in the Yerushalmi is, that Sefer Bereshis is called Sefer Hayashar. However, the second opinion is, the Chumash HaPekudim is Sefer Bamidbar. The fourth book, what we call Bamidbar, Pekudim, Vayidaber, is Vayashar, Sefer Hayashar, straight and narrow. And that's what the Korban Ha'ed, the commentary on the Yerushalmi says, it's called Sefer Bamidbar, we call Sefer Hayashar, because the Pasuk says, Tamus Nafshim Mos Yesharim, that appears in this Sefer. That a person should be included among those who are Yashar, honest, integrity, straight, faithful, loyal, and so on. Parshas Baloscha, perhaps it's called the book of Ahib and Soa, because we have in here what we sing when we take out the Sefer Torah, Vahib and Sar Aron. So we have many, many suggestions, many possibilities of what this book is called. He quotes here the Chizkuni. The Chizkuni offers another suggestion. How many were we up to? Four or five? Chizkuni has another one. Balash in Latin, Nikra Sefer Numre. Numre means numbers in Latin, the book of numbers, which really is a Latin translation of which word? Pekudim. The book of numbers, the book of counting, Balaz misparim, the book of numbers in Latin numri. This is the book of the book of counting because it's significant. Now we call it Bamidbar the desert because that's the first significant word used. Vaidaber Moshe. Those are all important words, but not unusual or specific words. The first specific word that's used is Bamidbar. Bamidbar. Is it a coincidence that Hashem speaks in the midbar? Why do we care? The climate, the topography, the geography. It's the message that matters. Why is it, why is it where? You know, if I want to quote an important conversation I have with someone, I quote the content of the conversation, not we were in Starbucks, which Starbucks? The one on Glades near the Turnpike. We sat outside. It was a hot and humid day. The land was very flat. No, but what did you say? What was the content of the conversation? Who cares? Who cares where? Or who cares the topography? Who cares the climate? Why does it matter? Why do we begin? So the Medrash gives a famous answer. Because anyone who does not transform themselves, anyone who does not make themselves like a midbar, a desert, what is a desert characterized by? The core character of a desert is midbar hefker. It's barren. It's open. It is a wasteland. It's barren. It's desolate. It is ownerless. The prerequisite, the way to acquire the wisdom of Torah is that first you have to wipe your slate clean. First you have to purge all your preconceived notions. The Torah can't compete with you, with your view of the world, with your preconceived notions, with your biases that you approach the world with. If you want to truly receive Torah, what do you have to do? Transform yourself into a midbar. That's what the Gemara in Erevin teaches. The Gemara says, From the wilderness to Matana, when it's telling us about the travels, You have to be willing to be a midbar, a tabla rasa. This is, today was brought to you by Latin. And that's about all the Latin I know. Ex nihilo, that's another Latin phrase. That's it, I've exhausted all my Latin right there. But you have to be a tabla rasa, you have to be a blank slate, a clean white board. You have to say, Torah, teach me. I'm not going to impose on Torah my preconceived notions, my biases, my predilections, my preconceived ideas. 
Torah, you teach me. You engrave and etch yourself on me. I'm willing to make myself into a midbar. I'm willing to make myself into a midbar. A midbar is a place of selflessness. No one has an ego. There is no arrogance in the midbar. The midbar, you're trying to survive. The midbar, midbar all are created equal. And the idea is, Torah, you teach me. I'm not going to teach you. The Torah can only be etched and engraved and carved on a person who's willing to kill himself on it. So this means, like we read last week, it means you can't sit back casually and learn Torah. You don't sit back in a recliner. You know what happens to the safer? that you learn on a Friday night after the meal when you stretch out in the recliner, it ends up on the floor in a puddle of drool. That's what ends up with that safer. That's not Torah. Torah shatiyah, melim. You gotta work, you gotta toil, you gotta make effort, you gotta break your teeth, you gotta try. You gotta kill yourself on it. You have to kill yourself to really acquire it. That which we receive casually and that which we receive comfortably, it doesn't last. We don't remember it. That which we kill ourselves on, just think to your childhood. Think about what you worked hard on, which degree and which curriculum, which area of study. What you worked hardest on, you remember the most and you have the greatest emotional connection with. And what you casually were a spectator to, you came, you listened, you were playing on your phone while you were also half listening. And by the time you left, you forgot the entire thing. I know in our youth, we didn't have the phone to play on while we were in class. I got it. You doodled what you were doodling with or passing notes to your friend on, whatever was the version we did when we were younger. But what we listened to casually, we don't remember. What we killed ourselves on became part of who we are. You have to be mamis atzmo. However, the Bali Musr come along, the Bali Musr say, what does it mean? Eina Torah Nikneis. You can only really acquire Torah. Mishememis atzmo. You have to be willing to kill your sense of self. The atzmo is what are my preconceived notions? What are my biases? What am I imposing on Torah rather than the Torah impose on me? You have to be willing to be mamis atzmo. You have to kill the sense of atzmo. You have to kill that sense of self if you want to really be willing to acquire Torah. It's not a coincidence. The Shabbos Parshas Bamidbar always appears before the holiday of Shavuos. If you didn't get the memo, Shavuos is next week. Next Thursday night, next Friday in Shabbos. That means that this Shabbos, Parshas Bamidbar, is the Shabbos before Shavuos. The Sfardim refer to this Shabbos as Shabbos Hakala. This is the Shabbos of the bride. Because Shavuos, we're getting married to Hashem. He lifts the mountain over our head like the chuppah. Shavuos, we're going to have a marriage to Hashem. So before the marriage to Hashem is the Yufraf, the Shabbos Kala, that's the Shabbos. How do we prepare? How do we get ready? We read the book of Bamidbar. We start Sefer Bamidbar. We're Mamis Atzmo. We kill our self sense of self like you're supposed to do before you get married. Before you get married, you don't entirely surrender your sense of self. Of course, you absorb your sense of self and you maintain and express your sense of self into marriage, but it means you can't be self-centered or selfish. The world no longer revolves around you. You have to be willing to compromise and integrate your life with another. This is the Shabbos of our Ufraf. This is the Shabbos Kala, the Shabbos before Shavuos. We're going to get married to Hashem. It's the Shabbos of Bamidbar. We have to be willing to make ourselves into a midbar. We've shared many times when we get upstairs, the Gemara Shabbos tells us we will be asked a series of questions. And one of the questions we're asked is, one of the questions we're asked is, Kavati itam la Torah. Did you set aside time for Torah learning? 
That's a question of Shavuos. We receive the Torah. Do we make time for Torah? Do we make time for God? Do we designate time every day to learn and study His, His Torah? However, you could read it a little bit differently. Not only kavata itim la Torah, did you make time for Torah, but kavata itim la Torah or kavata Torah le itim. Did you set aside time for Torah? Can mean kavata means to establish, to interpret. It could mean, did you see the world through Torah or did you see Torah through the world? Itim could mean the times, the times in which we live. So you're trying to interpret. How do I make sense of everything happening around me? How do I interpret it? How do I make sense of it? What is true? What is right? What is just? Kavata itim la Torah. Do I interpret the times based on the values of Torah? Or kavata Torah la itim? Or do I take what, is the, what are the mores and the ethics? What is the zeitgeist of the time? And now I try to mold and shape Torah into my preconceived notions. Bamidbar. We have to turn ourselves into a midbar that the Torah is molding us. We're not molding and shaping Torah to conform with our views. Do we conform with Torah or do we try to manipulate and distort Torah to conform with our views? That's the beginning of Bamidbar and that is how we prepare for the Yanta for the holiday of Shavuos. However, back to the Yotzer Plos Torah. Why is it called Shemos? Shmos. The Malbim writes, B'mispar Shemos B'nei Yisrael. Right? The uh, second Pasuk. Suas Rosh Kaladas B'nei Yisrael. This is what Hashem said to Moshe in that Midbar. Suas Rosh Kaladas B'nei Yisrael L'mishbochosam L'vesavosam B'mispar Shemos Kol Zachar L'gugolosam. Take a census. It's called the Book of Counting, the Book of Numbers, because it begins with a census. It begins with an accounting of all the Jewish people according to their families, according to their father's household. And here we have what seems to be a contradiction. Bimispar means according to their number. Shemos means according to their name. Kol zachar asam, every male according to their head count. The Malbim says, Bimispar Shemos. How do you count? Jews don't count people. What happens when we count people? Ayin hara. It's an ayin hara. We don't count people because that number, taking that pride in the number of people, shining a spotlight on the proliferation on the great number of people, can welcome jealousy, envy, can welcome questioning of our worthiness, and therefore it can welcome the influence and the power of Ayin Hara. So we don't count people. What do we count? Names. So they would fill out a piece of paper and they would write their name, and then we would count the names, not the people, says the Malbim, in order to avoid the Lush, in order to avoid the Ayin Hara. And the Malbim adds, and this is what happened with David Amelach, Kurdish Baruch, who told David Amelach to count Kla Yisrael. Same thing, count the names. However, David HaMelech told Yoav Sartseva, he told his general Yoav to count the people, and they counted the people, and what happened? There was an Ayin Hara, and there was a plague that came, and there was an entire problem that ensued. That ensued. And the Ramban has an amazing comment here. The Ramban says, a name or a number, they seem to be a contradiction, they're two separate things. In fact, let's see the... Megid Yosef for a second, before we look at the Ramban, an amazing Ramban. But the Megid Yosef, Rav Yosef Surotskin wonders, We've shared this before in different people's names. This year we share it in the name of the Megid Yosef. Similar idea. 
It seems to be a contradiction. Why is it a contradiction? Because the word number connotes, it suggests, what? You're a number. There's nothing specific. There's nothing individual about you. There's nothing distinct or distinguished about you. You're just a number. A number has no identity. In fact, the Nazis, Yimach Shemam V'Zichram, one of the ways they dehumanized us was to tattoo a number on the arm. You don't have a name. You're not a person. There's no individualism. You don't have a destiny. You don't have a mission. You're not a name. All you are is a number. On the other hand, Shemos, a name. A name is a description. Chazal tell us that parents are endowed with a certain divine inspiration when they give a name to a child. Because a name is not an arbitrary label. A name is a description. A name is a prediction. A name is the character of the person. So which is it? Mispar or Shemos? Mispar uchelek menaklal. A number, you're one of many. What number are you? You're one of many. When a person joins the army, they get their tags, and they're a number in the army. Shekain, sheni, hurak sheni, biachas larishon. You're number two. Number two is only relevant compared to building upon number one. By receiving, by accepting a number, you are that number relative to the number that comes before, the number that comes after. So when you get your dog tags in the army, you're a number in the army. You're a member of your unit or your platoon. You're a member of the army. However, on the other hand, a name is individual, distinct. Where do we see that? When God passes all the animals in front of Adam Arishon, and he invites Adam to give each one what? A name. And what is he giving them? A description, a label. So which is it? Which is it? Did Hashem tell Moshe to do a census in order to count the number? You're just a number. Blend in, fall in, get in line. Or are you a name? Who are you? What's your description? What's your unique mission? What is your destiny? And he develops here the answer is both. The answer is a, a Yid, a Jew. We are supposed to see ourselves concomitantly, simultaneously. We're supposed to see ourselves as both. On the one hand, I'm a number. Don't get too arrogant. Don't be too focused on your ego. Don't be too concerned with your name, your fame. You're a number. You're a member of a unit. You're a member of a platoon. You're part of Hashem's army. Fall in line, do your job, report for duty, do what's meant of you. On the other hand, you're a name. You have a unique dis- destiny. You have a unique mission. You are a unique person. And where else do you see this as the Megid Yosef says, Rav Yosef Saratskin, in the brachas, that Hashem gives Avram Avinu predicting about his progeny, his children. What are the two brachas? Your children will number as great as the stars in the sky. On the other hand, they'll also be as many as the sands on the beach. Every grain of sand on the beach, does it have a name? No. A little grain of sand on the beach, it's negligible. It doesn't have a name, it doesn't have a number. It's negligible, it's nothing. However, every star in the sky, every star has its own name. Astrologers, astronomers, they look to the sky and they count the stars and every star has its own name. They give a name. I think you could go online and like for a loved one, you can buy a name for a star, for their birthday, for their anniversary. Every star, you can name a star. Every star has a name. 
So this too was the bracha Hashem was telling Avram Avinu. On the one hand, your children need to know they're stars. And we call it a superstar. Superstar. Someone who's an up-and-coming star. Someone who's an up-and-coming superstar. On the other hand, the grains of sand on the beach, they're negligible. They're nothing. In fact, the grains of sand on the beach, one grain, if you take a piece of grain of sand and you put it on the tip of your finger and you look at your finger, you could barely even see it there. Does it have meaning? Does it have a purpose? Does it have a mission? It's nothing. It's only when you add up all the grains of sand together that you have a beach and now it's protecting the land from the sea. It's only when it falls into the many, it's only when it combines with the masses, now you have a beach, now you have protecting the land. But each grain of sand on its own is nothing. Says the Megid Yosef, that is b'mispar shemos, where a number and a name, every yid, every Jew is supposed to live simultaneously. and the whole world exists for me. I have a mission, I have a purpose, I'm here for a reason. The world needs me. On the other hand, I'm just a number. I just blend in, I'm just serving Hashem. That is why I'm here, and that is what I am, that is what I meant to do. That is what I am meant to do. That is the Meged Yosef. Let's go back to the Ramban, because I want to tell you an amazing Ramban. An amazing Ramban. The Ramban says the following. Tama Mitzvah Shenitztava Moshe Lunos Mitzvah Shemos Ben Yisrael. Writes the Ramban. Nitztava Moshe Ba'aron, Sheyedu Mispar Mifkad Ha'am. Moshe and Aaron were commanded, they need to know the census. You need to know the data, the numbers of how many Jews there are. V'yedu mispar koshevet, know every tribe. Kichin derech ha-malachem b'manosa mesa'am, because that's what elected officials, that's what people of positions of power, that's what kings do. You need a census of your nation. V'lo v'inosi tama mitzvah zos, lama tziva ba'kodesh baruchu. Says the Ramban, but why? Why do Moshe and Aaron need to know the number? Tribe, I understand. Each tribe, how many people are in the tribe? In order to know the encampment, the logo, the emblem, the flag, which we'll get to, the Dgalos, I got it. But why do you need to know the census of how many people? Maybe this is part of the expression of the miracle of gratitude to Hashem. How many were we when we went down, descended to Egypt? Seventy. And now we number like the sand of the sea, over 600,000. Wow! Hashem's goodness, His graciousness, His kindness. Look at this population explosion. But then the Ramban continues. Vod! When every Jew would pass in front of Moshe and Aaron and give his half shekel, you know what would happen? Moshe and Aaron would put their eyes on that person and would make everyone who passed in front of them feel they count. They're not invisible, they're not inconsequential. They matter, they count, they make a difference. Says the Ramban, Hashem is omnipotent and infinite. Hashem could have transmitted to Moshe. Here's the census taken instantly. Why do they have to go through this exercise of actually counting painstakingly each and every Jew? Because the goal was not to arrive at the final number. That Hashem could have delivered or transmitted easily, instantaneously. What was the goal? The exercise of counting each person, which would result in making each person feel 
that they count, making each person feel that they count. The Shefachayim, who wrote the Shefachayim? The Heilige Kleisenberger, the Kleisenberger Rebbe, Tzanz Kleisenberg. And this is what he writes in the Shefachayim. We've quoted this Ramban many times. This Ramban, this comment, this interpretation is a Rebbe Ramban. The Ramban became a Hasidish Rebbe. Every year came in front of Moshe and Aaron and gave a kvittel. They wrote down their name and the name of their father. And Moshe and Aaron would receive the half shekel and they would look at the name. And they'd give a bracha. This is the source of people going to a Rebbe for a bracha and giving a kvittel. When you go to the Rebbe for a bracha, the Rebbe may know you since before you're born. The Rebbe could be your sandak. What are you still filling out your name? and the name of your mother, and, then, and your children, your spouse, and your parents. What do you have to give a kvittel? The Rebbe knows everybody, based on this Ramban, that you would appear to get a bracha before the Rebbe. Moshe and Aaron were the original Rebbes. And you'd write down your name when you appeared. This also might be why you, when you go to give a name, why you also give pidyon. Why do you give some money? You give some money, just like they gave the Machetz shekel with the original kvittel to Moshe and Aaron. So similarly, we're engaging in this practice. Otsaplos HaTorah has a long essay on the origins and the practices, the different minhagim of what we write down, the mother's name, the father's name, which name we invoke, and, uh, and the names that we're writing, and what the tzaddik is looking at when he sees the name. And uh, don't, the Munkacher says, don't ask for too many things. The kvittel, kvittel shouldn't be too long. Kasavti rak he says, Chaim ben Miriam la Go for the bracha of atzlacha. Within atzlacha is everything. Don't write a whole dissertation. Write a kvittel. Atzlacha. That you want, you want success. Within success is everything. And here is a long, beautiful essay on it. If you want to know more about the minag of kvitlach. And then he quotes from Munkach. There was a minag afterwards. They collect all the kvitlach and they burn them. They would destroy them. In Lubavitch, if you go to the uh, Ol of the Rebbe, you write a kvittel, you can't hand it to the Rebbe, he's no longer in this world, but you rip it and then throw it in, and somehow he accesses it. It's not burnt, it's ripped. Others have the minhagim to, to burn it. Very fascinating. But this is the Ramban at the beginning of our Pasha. And I think it's such a powerful, powerful Ramban. The image and the description that the mission of leaders is to connect with people to make them count. That leaders should make people feel that they count that they number, that they're consequential, that they make a difference. And the purpose of the census was not to arrive at the final number. That Hashem could have transmitted easily, miraculously. The purpose of the census was to go one by one and to say, what's your name? What's your family name? Pinch a cheek, give a little kiss on the kepe, and say, oh, you count, you matter, you make a difference. The Gra said that during the era of prophecy, when we had prophets, there was no need for anyone to determine his own purpose in life. You'd go to the Navi, you'd go to the prophet, and the prophet would say, this is why you're here. This is your mission. This is what you matter. This is the difference you're meant to make. This is what your life is all about. And similarly, a person who came before Moshe, the Av HaNavim, simply being in the presence of Moshe and Aaron, you felt you matter. You felt charged and pumped and make a difference. I've got to go change the world. I've got to go make my contribution. I've got to go make my, my difference to this world. 
That's what the Gemara in Sanhedrin says. Every Jew has to say, The whole world was created just for me. And maybe this says, Revolba, maybe this is why we're reading Sefer Bamidbar right before Matan Torah, before Kabbalah Satorah, before the Yantav of Shavuos. Why does the book of Bamidbar come before the Yantav of Shavuos? Because every Yid needs to know I matter, I make a difference. If a person is not aware, if a person is not mindful or conscious of their own importance, you cannot begin your Avodah in Torah. You can't receive the Torah. This past Shabbos we had Rav Chatzko Weinfeld. It was fantastic, amazing Shabbos. He has a beautiful base medrash from Arashkol Yerushalayim, a huge Talmud Chacham, incredible personality. It was a beautiful Shabbos. So he said on Shabbos morning, the Gemara tells us that when the Moshe went up on high to receive the Torah, the angels complained to Hashem and they said, what are you giving the Torah to these lowly, fallible human beings? So Hashem turned to Moshe and he said, no, give an answer. Tell him why. So Moshe says, me? I, I, I can't answer the question. Hashem said, grab onto the Kisei HaKavod. Hold on to my chair. Hold on to keep you stable and you'll be able to answer the question. So Rav Weinfeld asked, Hashem was giving us the Torah, not Moshe. So it was for Hashem to answer the angel's challenge. Why did Hashem insist that Moshe be the one to answer? And Rav Weinfeld said, he says, because if you don't know why you deserve the Torah, then you don't deserve it. If you don't know who you are and why you deserve the Torah, you don't deserve the Torah. A person has to know they deserve person has to know who they are. You have to have self-esteem, self-confidence, self-awareness. You have to know who you are and why you're here and the mission that you have. And then and only then are you ready to receive the Torah. And he says, the Medrash tells us that after the chait of Adam Arishon, after Adam and Chava ate of the Eitz Adas, there was a zuama. There was a spiritual contamination that came to this world. And at Matan Torah, we were purged, we were cleansed, we were showered from that zuama. it was removed from us. What does that mean? That it came when we ate of the Eitz Hadas, it was removed from us when we stood at Har Sinai and Matan Torah. What does that mean? What does that mean? So Rav Weinfeld says, when we ate of the Eitz Hadas, why did we eat of the Eitz Hadas? Because the Nachash, the snake, seduced Adam and Chava into believing they wanted to be like the Pasuk says, Elohim, Sheyodea Tovara. And the Mepharshim, the Rishonim say, what is Elohim? An angel. What Adam, Adam and the Chava said, we're not sure why we're here. Who are we? What's this world all about? Why are we here? They were uncomfortable in their own skin. So they said, I want to be like him. I want to be like the angel. When you're uncomfortable like your own skin, you only strive to be like someone else. I want to be like that influencer. I want to be like that famous person. I want to be like that neighbor of mine. I want to be like that family member of mine. We compete, we compare, we try to be someone else. Adam and Chava were trying to be Elohim, they were trying to be someone else. So they made a mistake, they ate of the Eitz Hadas. And what happened? When we left Yamsuf, Vayaminu Bashem uva Moshe Avdo. Says Rav Tzadok HaKohen, a person, what do you mean, yet faith in Hashem and faith in Moshe? That's not our religion. We only have faith in Hashem, we don't have faith in people. What does it mean, Vayamina Bashem of Moshe Avda? Writes Rav Tzadok HaKohen, we had faith in Hashem, and because we had faith in Hashem and that we're each at Salam Elohim, we have to have faith in ourselves. Moshe is, Moshe is the person who's kolel all people inside him. Moshe is the paradigm of all people. So what it means we had faith in Hashem and faith in Moshe is it means we had faith in ourselves. I'm at Salam Elohim. I'm here for a reason. I'm a divine expression. I'm a manifestation of Hashem. We had faith in ourselves. So in Egypt, we had a slave mentality. In Egypt, we just blended into one another. But we stood at Kriyas Yamsuf, 
We said, oh, by Amin Hashem, we had faith in Hashem. Uva Moshe Avda, we started to believe in ourselves. So when we came to Har Sinai with self-confidence, self-esteem, self-awareness, with a belief in our personal mission, now we were ready to receive the Torah. It removed the Zuama that came from the Eitz Adas. When we tried to be someone else because we didn't know who we were, when we were uncomfortable in our own skin, we grew comfortable in our own skin. And says Rav Weinfeld, maybe that's why what we say on Pesach, Ilu kervanu dayenu. If all we did was come to our Sinai, but we never received the Torah, dayenu. What do you mean dayenu? The whole purpose, the whole goal was to receive the Torah. What was? It would have been enough to be at Har Sinai. It would have been enough just to have that self-esteem, that self-awareness, that knowledge of who we are, that worthiness, just that feeling of our own worthiness would have been enough even if we didn't receive the Torah. The fact that we were ready and prepared to receive the Torah. So that Rav Weinfeld said all this past Shabbos. But Rav Volbe writes on our Pasha in the Shi'ur Chumash on Bamidbar. He writes, why do we read Bamidbar before Shavuos? Because this message, this Ramban, Every person passed before Moshe. They wrote down their name and they gave a machtza shekel. And Moshe and Aaron pinched their cheek and gave a kiss on Kepa and said, you're somebody. I'm so happy you're here. You are here for a reason. You make a difference. You make a difference. Every person is here for a reason. People need to know that. And we're only ready to receive a Torah when we know that, when we realize that. You know, a few weeks ago, I'm behind the Bima, our marathon global episode. One of the people we interviewed on that global episode, four-hour global episode, was Rabbi Kalish of Daniel Kalish. You may recall he said something amazing. I was talking to him about Chinuch because he has a magic touch. He's able to reach people, inspire people. He's a, such a special, special Jew. So we were talking about it, and he said that he recently met a big rabbi. He obviously didn't share the name. A well-known, famous, prominent rabbi. And that rabbi said to Rabbi Kalish, do you know, last year, how many teenagers do you think I spoke to? He said, I spoke to 2,000 teenagers. I forgot, 2,000, 3,000 teenagers. I spoke at all these yeshivas and seminaries and all these schools and Shabbatons. I spoke to 2,000, 3,000 teenagers. And Rabbi Kalish looked at me in the interview and he said, he said, you know, I told that rabbi, I would have been much more impressed if you said, you know, this past year, I listened to 3,000 teenagers. This past year, I listened to, I heard 3,000 teenagers. Rabbi Kedesh was making the point that young people don't need to be spoken to. They need to feel that they're listened to. They need to feel they're heard, that there's someone listening. Moshe and Aaron, all these people passed in front of them and they listened. Said, no, what do you have to say? Who are you? Who are you? What do you have to say? Rav Weinfeld at my house Friday night, we had a beautiful Tish Onik. He went around the whole room. What's your name? Where are you from? Where were your parents from originally? Who do we have in common? No, what do you do? What are you up to? When you make a person feel they matter, they mean something, they make a difference, you've given them their life. You can't receive Torah and Torah won't impress itself upon you. And you can't feel that Torah is giving you your mission if you don't believe that you matter, if you don't believe you're consequential. And that's what the Ramban writes. And that's why we read it before the holiday of Shavuos. Now the Pasuk says, interestingly, Gulgolas. The Pasuk says, what is the Pasuk? All their names according to, what's Gugulosam? Head count. Why does the word Gugulosam mean a head count? A skull. It's a skull. It's a head. Skull. It's a head. It's a head count. But listen to this. The Ramami Pano. 
The Ramah Mipano in his Sefer, Asara Ma'amaros, writes, again, the Otar Plos HaTorah dug this up. Why does it use the word gulgulosam? It's kind of a crass word. We count them according to the number of skulls. Hey, dumb skull. Skull is not a used word we use in a, usually in a positive context. So we count their skulls. Why are we using the word specifically gulgulosam? Listen to the Ramami Pano. He writes, quoting the Yalkut Ruveni, Moshe Rabbeinu yada kama pa'ama miyizgalgel kol echad miyisrael, vizehu raz nigla lamila hamaskeras, ratzalama legugulosam, milashon gilgul v'ibur. You know what Moshe knew? How many times each of these people would be reincarnated. And that's what he was counting. Not only counting their expression in this world, in this current experience, but how many times they would come back as a Gilgal, how many times they would come back being reincarnated. The Mekubal, Rav Nasa Nata Shapir in his Sefer Megala Amokos writes, Inyan Gilgal Neshama Sumitzad Midas HaChesed Shalakadosh Baruch What is the idea of Gilgal? What's the idea of reincarnation? It's the Chesed of Hashem. Every soul is put in this world that's housed by a body. And for that short, finite amount of time, certainly relative to eternity, it's meant to use that body as the vehicle, the instrument, to express free will and to make choices in this world. And sometimes we make the wrong choices and we impress the wrong, we contaminate the soul because of the poor judgment of the body. And then the soul is extracted from the body. What do we do though? The soul didn't fully complete its purpose in this world. So the chesed of Hashem is, He allows the soul to come back again and again until the soul gets it right, finally, and then the soul is able to return to its creator on high and in full. And therefore, it's a chesed of Hashem. And that's what Moshe saw, the Google of some, not only this expression of the soul in this body, but every future Gilgal that the person would come back. Now, not everybody agrees in Gilgal. There are many, including Mekubalim, among them. It's a big machlokas rishonim. Do we believe in Gilgal? Do we believe in reincarnation altogether? Rav Chaim Vital writes something wild. He says, only men come back in Gilgal. Nikevos lobos apirov begilgal. Only occasionally do women come back as a Gilgul, but men, most of the Gilgul and most of the reincarnated souls are men. And the Chidah brings this as well. Occasionally women come back as Gilgulim, mostly men. Now before you write me emails and accuse the Torah of being uh, sexist and biased, I interpret that to mean, because women get it right the first time, they don't need to come back. The pathetic, lowly men, they need to try again and try again and try again. Women on roof get it right the first time. They don't need to keep coming back. Now, you may wonder, as I do, one of the reasons that I struggle to accept the notion of reincarnation is I think it creates more questions than it does provide answers, such as, what are some of the questions that it raises? When we'll come back resurrected, which body? as a man, as a woman, young or old, in 2023, or the version of you from 1602, or the version of you from 2209. Which version of you is gonna come back? Who will you be married to? Who will be your children? Who's the real you? So if it bothers you, it also bothered the Nod Behuda. And in Tzlach HaMesechus Brachos, Hine yeshkan chakira gedola va'amuka, katsar ha'seicha l'anoshi la'asiga, v'hu ki yadu ha'mashin esparsim, was bothered by exactly the same question. So, he quotes here, we're not going to go through it now, 
But he has again a long essay with many answers of different possibilities. The Beis Yosef also was bothered by this. So maybe you come back in different versions of body. Maybe you come back in your original body. Maybe you have a new hybrid body that's made up of features from all the bodies that you once inhabited, combined together. There's an opinion that Arve Nacha, you come back in the Guf Achron. What was the latest one, the last one that you were in before Tchiyas HaMesim? Again, a long essay about how you come back. Gilgul, but I thought it was fascinating. Gilgulus legugulosam. The Google Osam, the Pasuk is telling us not just counting according to the head count, but it is a reference to Gilgul counting based on the reincarnated stages that you're going to come back over and over again. You thought that was good? Listen to this next one. This is wild. Pasuk Perikal, Pasuk Vav. Lishimon, now we're counting. In the context of this census, we're naming the heads of the tribes. Leruven el ben Shteur. Lishimon, who's the head of the tribe of Shimon? Shlumiel ben Tzurishadai. Listen to what the, he quotes here in the Yosef Losa Torah. Dover nifla kasav agon of Chizkiah, fivel ploit. Besifr likute echever ben Chaim. He quotes in the name of the Chassam Sofer. You ready? We count the 12 Nisim Sheasa Kadosh Baruch Hu, the Pinchas Be'eshahar Gezimri ben Salun, Nisishevet Shimon. There were 12 miracles that happened to Pinchas. You remember? We're going to read it soon. When Pinchas kills Zimri, you remember what happened? This disrespectful union that is trying to challenge Hashem. Pinchas rises, Kanaim Pogimbo, and he drives a spear through the two of them. And there are 12 miracles that happened in that time. What do we call somebody? Someone who has no mazel. What do we call them? A shlemiel. Shlumiel ben This Shlumiel had no mazel, and that's why we call someone with no mazel a shlemiel. Shlemiel happened dance incorporated. Shlemiel. It comes from it comes from our parsha. Shlemiel. That wild. The word shlemiel comes from our parsha. Shlumiel. Shlomiel. Okay, you're not nearly as excited about that as I am. Paragalaf Pasagitas. I thought that was pretty cool. Turn to page 728. So we have all the names. Gather them. Calculate them. Kasher Hashem as Moshe. Bemidbar Sinai. As Hashem had commanded them, Hashem counted in Bemidbar Sinai. Hashem counted in the wilderness. Hashem counted. The Gemar Mesachasota, those learning the daf, we did this a few weeks ago. Daf Yud Gimel. In the sugya of Moshe's death, the portion that tells us about when Moshe died, we find that Moshe Rabbeinu is called Safra Rabbah di Yisrael. What does that mean? Moshe's name is, he is the Safra Rabbah di Yisrael. Tanya, Rabbi Eliezer, Agadol Omer, Shnei Masar Mila, Shnei Masar Mila, Keneged Machan Yisrael, Basko Mashmiah Omer Vayemas Moshe, Safra Rabbah di Yisrael. The heavenly voice went out to proclaim that Moshe Rabbeinu had passed and Moshe Rabbeinu was nicknamed the Safra Rabbah de Yisrael. What does Safra Rabbah mean? So the Maharsha, Maharsha Shmuel Idels, has two opinions. The first is Safra Rabbah means Sofer v'chosev, because Moshe wrote the Torah Shepachzav. Hashem dictated it. Moshe wrote it. He was the Sofer, what we call a Sofer. When you go buy a Tefillin Mezuzah, Sefer Torah, from whom do you buy it? A, a Sofer. Who was the original sofer who put the, the quill to the cloth? 
the original sofer was Moshe. So Moshe is the Safar Rabbah, the original <coughs> sofer. But the Marsha quotes a second opinion. Safra Rabbah, Shayamona Misparan Sheisrael Shnei Pa'amim. He took two censuses. Sensei? Is that a real word? Sensei? Censuses? That doesn't sound like a right word. Census. He took two times he took a census. Twice he took a census. Of an imsa, so according to the Marsha, why is he called a Safra? Milashon, not a sofer, a scribe, meaning a sofer, a counter, somebody who counts. Gemara Kedushan tells us Chazal were called sofrim, not because they were scribes, they counted the letters of the Torah. They knew exactly how many letters were in the Torah and what was the middle letter of the Torah and so on. So according to the Marsha, Moshe Rabbeinu's nickname was the Safra Rabra. And why was that his nickname? Because he counted. I see a beautiful insight in this Marsha. What's the beautiful insight in this Marsha? Moshe Rabbeinu understood. It's the same as the Ramban, the Aleishor, Rav Weinfeld. What was Moshe's greatness? In the end of the day, Moshe was a brilliant scholar. He went up on top of the mountain, he received the Torah, and he transmitted it to us. Moshe is Rabbeinu. Moshe is the great scholar. Moshe has great character traits. He's anav mikol adam. Moshe is the most humble of all people. Moshe is an Eved Hashem b'chol manu. He's the most faithful, the most loyal. He davens the longest Shemona Esrei. He shuckles the most. He's the most spiritual. Moshe is the most has the greatest empathy. He cares about a little sheep and he cares about every member of Klai Yisrael. Moshe has all these character traits. But what comes out? His nickname is Moshe Safar Rabbah Yisrael. Why? Because in the end of the day, he made every Jew feel they count. What is the greatest testament to a leader? To make people feel they count. You could publish books and you could write articles. You could have a huge following online and offline. You could be a brilliant scholar. You could be tremendously humble and have great character. But the greatest testament to a leader, Moshe Rabbeinu's testament, the measure of his greatness, of his leadership, is Safar Rabbah Yisrael. He's the greatest at making everyone feel they count. Not only the greatest counter of Klal Yisrael, but the greatest at making everyone feel they count. He counted every letter in the Torah. This is also consistent with the idea of making everyone count. Because we know we're told that there are 600,000 letters in the Torah, which is not true, doesn't add up. How you get to that calculation, you have to get creative. But there are 600,000 letters of the Torah. And Keneged, Shishim Ribo, Keneged corresponding with the 600,000 Jews, corresponding with 600,000 Jews. The word Yisrael, Yesh Shishim Ribo, Osios, the Torah, there are 600,000 letters in the Torah. Yisrael, for every Jew, there's a letter in the Torah. We've spoken about this several times. Could you just pass me those tissues? We've spoken about many times. That's why during Hagba, you're supposed to look and find your letter. Thank you so much. The letter that begins your name and you bow because you find your place in the Torah. The person is supposed to know, I have a place in the Torah. I have a mission in the Torah. The Torah reflects me, represents me. The Torah speaks to me. So every Yid should feel, I have a place in the Torah. Now there's a halacha. And the halacha is, the letters of the Torah require something called mukav gvil. What does mukav gvil mean? Every letter needs to be surrounded with parchment. If two letters are touching, the Sefer Torah's puzzle, Tefillin is puzzle, the mezuzah's puzzle. If two letters are touching, it's invalid, it's no good. Every letter needs to be surrounded entirely by parchment. Why? Because as much as each of us is a letter in the Torah, 
and we see ourselves as part of the greater 600,000, but every letter needs to be mukav gvil. It needs to be surrounded by parchment, means it needs to stand on its own. We have to count and be counted and see ourselves as unique and distinct and each one of us that we make a difference. Now the Leviim were counted separately. Parak Aleph, Pasuk, Mem, Zayim. Turn the page. And the Leviim, according to their father's tribe, were not counted among them. Why not? The Leviim had their own census. That's a little elite of them, isn't it? Why are they breaking away? Why are they Purush Manatzibur? Why are they counting separately? So Rashi tells us why are the Leviim counted separately? Because otherwise they would suffer the same consequence of the Chaita Egel. And they didn't participate in the Chaita Egel. So we count them separately. And Rav Chaim Shmulevitz wonders, in Esichos Musr, I don't understand. You're telling me that if we counted them among the rest of the census, they would have suffered the consequence of the Chayta Egel, even though they didn't violate the Chayta Egel? Aren't we sort of limiting Hashem? Is Hashem not able to, one census, streamline, consolidate, one census for everyone, just don't hold the Levim accountable. Let them off the hook because they didn't do the Chayta Egel. So Rechein Shulevitz in Esichos Musar has a magnificent and critically important idea. He says, you are who you hang out with. You are defined by who you are with. And if the, the Levim would have been counted among all of Klai Yisrael, they wouldn't have been able to say, yeah, but we didn't do it, we're not among them. If that's your crowd, if that's your crew, then you go up and you go down with that crew. Whenever I share this with Chaim Shulevitz, I always liken it to the stock market. Stock market is made of different sectors. Banking sector, the real estate sector, the biotech sector, you have different sectors in the stock market. A particular company, its market cap, its value, can go up or down by billions of dollars when it did nothing. No new product, no new revenue, no new profit, and yet it went up, by, it went up in its market cap by billions. Or no losses, no failed trial, and yet it went down, it plummeted by billions. Why? What sector does it belong to? All because of what sector it belongs to, it can entirely change your valuation, your identity, your worth. And what's true in the stock market is true for us. Who is our crew, who we hang out with, who we identify with, whom we associate with, that determines our identity and our value. Had Levi been counted among Klai Yisrael, they would have been held accountable for the Chayta Egel. So therefore Hashem needed to separate them out and count them separately. And this maybe explains why is it so important to daven with a minion? Why are our tefillos heard based on the minion that we're with? If you're Porish at Sibur, if you go to some breakaway minion, you're with people who identify, if you're people who are rebellious, people who hate authority, if people who, if you're daven by yourself all alone and you don't even connect with nine other Jews, then Hashem says, okay, you're all on your own, let me check you out. But if you find a minion of righteous people, if you daven with others who are holy and trying hard, then you say, you know what, Hashem, I'm not worth it, but I'm blending in. I want to be counted among. If you're, I want to be part of that sector. I want to be part of that crew. And if that sector is rising, let my value go up with them. And if you hang out with a sector that is descending, if you hang out with a crew that is going down, then you will, your identity goes down. That's why it's so important, Rechaim Shemalevit says, to decide what minion, what shul, with what group, where you sit in the minion. You're sitting with the talkers, you're sitting with the quiet people. 
You sit with those who will elevate your kavana. You sit with those who will distract you from your kavana. Because not only very practically, pragmatically, will it impact the quality of your davening, but what sector you're with will impact entirely your identity and your value. We hung out according to our, according to our flag. Parsha continues with the formations. And this is very important. We've studied in the past the notion of order and arrangements. Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, each tribe had their own flag, their own emblem, their own logo. And this is part of the Boker Tone Synagogue's mission statement. Valuing diversity, celebrating unity. On the one hand, we value diversity. We want to have 12 tribes. We have eight minyanim on Shabbos morning. We don't all fit into one box. We don't try to make everybody conform to one way of being. We recognize differences and we celebrate, we value those differences. But the differences can't divide. The diversity shouldn't divide, just like the unity shouldn't lead to uniformity. We have to take the, the differences, the diversity, and we have to unite with a sense of unity. And what's the model of that? Our parsha, the Degolim. Kodesh Baruch didn't say one flag, one logo, one emblem, one encampment. He said, I respect the differences. Twelve tribes, twelve encampments, twelve separate places. And in fact, the Shlach Kodesh writes this explicitly. I've always be believed this and felt this and preached this, but this year I found the Shlach Kodesh. Kodesh writes, the Shlach writes in the name of the Arizal, Ish al-diglo ba'osos leves avosam, our Pasuk, each man according to his flag, according to his household. The Ari writes, Kamosh yesh arba degolam, kach yesh arba kisos b'yisroh chalukam be'ezim minhagim, Svardim, Ashkenazim, Italia, the Shlach Kadosh quotes the Arizal. That's what it means, Boker Aton Synagogue. We have a Neitz Minyan, Hashkama Minyan. We have a Nisach Sfarad Minyan. Arizal, we have a Nisach Ari Minyan. We have the Main Minyan. We have the Chabura Minyan. We have the Outreach Minyan. We have the Teen Minyan. We have the, what did I leave out? Edut HaMizrach, the Sfaradic Minyan. We have, we have all these Minyanim. Because Ish Al Diglo. Ish Al Diglo is each Minyan has its own flag, its own emblem. But what's the key? That we were all together. Says of Yaakov Kamenetsky isn't in Emes Lyakov. Everyone having their own flag, their own logo, their own emblem, their own encampment, isn't there danger of divisiveness, of machlokas, of division, of breakaway? Says Rav Yaakov, what do you notice if you look at our parsha? You had the encampments, you had the four sides, north, south, east, and west, each made up of three tribes. And what was in the middle? The Mishkan. As long as you have the Mishkan in the middle, then you can afford the diversity. If the diversity is all leaning, directed towards the Mishkan, the shul, if it's all serving the community, if it's all worshiping the Torah, if it's all promoting our shared values, then you can afford the, the diversity. If the diversity is all leading away, then you're gonna have divisiveness. But if the diversity is all leading towards, then you're gonna have unity, united by the Mishkan at the center, united by the Torah at our, at our center. Okay, Perak Beis, Pasuk, Lamed Beis. So we have all of these flags and logos and emblems. The Torah, top of page 736, tells us, These are the countings of the Kali Yisrael, according to their father's household, all the countings of the camps, according to the legions, 603,550. 550. Now, that same number, that same number is the same counting as the last counting. The Ibn Ezra here says something amazing. The last census, this is the conclusion, this is the result of the whole census. Keep in mind that number, 603,550. And it should sound familiar, why? Because it's the same number as the last census. Which means what says the Ibn Ezra? 
even though the Medrash and Kuala says, Ein lecha b'chol yom v'yom she'in oldin bo shishim ribo, u'meisim bo shishim ribo, u'matam dor holich v'dor ba. In this world and on this globe, there's no day that 600,000 don't die and 600,000 aren't born. I didn't Google it, I don't know. If you look at the global death daily and the global birth rate daily, I don't know if they match and I don't know if there's 600,000. But that's what the Medrash says. Every day, a generation dies and a generation is born. I think in Lakewood alone, every day, a generation is born. They say there's a new grade born every week in Lakewood. Every, week, every month, a new school is needed. Just the birth rate, the masses, the numbers, it's mind-boggling. So, hopefully only born, not dying. But that's the nature, that's the way of the world. Says the Ibn Ezra, Ela Pekud Ibn Israel. here we have the same number, 603,550, as we did in the last sentence. Writes the Ibn Ezra in our parsha. you know why? Because in the seven months between the last census and this census, over seven months, there wasn't one funeral, not one shiva email, not one shiva setup, not one shiva call, not one hesped, not one eulogy. In seven months, nobody died. Lomes, nobody died. And the Ibn Ezra says, Zedavar Pella, that never happened before in history, and that never happened again. So why? Why is that important? The Ramban tells us, This was one of the miracles of Hashem. This is one of the expressions of the kindness and the generosity of Hashem. Hashem showed His love and His kindness that for seven months we were all together. For seven months we were one. For seven months nobody died. Told us Aaron the Moshe. We don't have time to get into this. Ela told us Aaron and Moshe. These are the, je- the offspring of Aaron and Moshe. Then we only list the offspring of Aaron because anybody who teaches Torah is as if he gave birth to them. We've talked about in the past the uh, Shlomo Kluger. Does that mean if you teach someone Torah, can you be Yotze Pru Revu? If you pay someone's tuition, but you don't have biological children of your own, can be Yotze Pru Revu? When we say Ki'ilu Yoldo, it's as if you gave birth to them. Shlomo Kluger has a Chakira Ki'ilu. It's as if. Does as if mean you did? Or as if means, as if, there's a big discussion, how far do we take that, how far does that go, a lot more to say about, a lot more to say about that. B'nai Kahas never turned their back. Let's end with, uh, should we go back to uh, a Rav Druk? We'll end with a Rav Druk. We had much more to say, but we'll end with a Rav Druk. Rav Druk says the following, Actually, we'll end the way we started. It's a perfect bookend to the theme that we've been communicating all day. Perak Gimel Pasuk Tezayin. Perak Gimel Pasuk Tezayin. Page 2738. That Moshe counted them according to the word of Hashem. Kasher Tzuva, as he was commanded, says Rashi. Amr Moshe Lefnei Kodesh Baruch Hu. Heyachani nichnas levesei kulam ulusoch aleim ladas minyan yonkayim. How am I supposed to make it around all of their tents? How am I supposed to take the census? One man, I'm supposed to visit all their tents, and I'm supposed to know how many children are inside each, each tent. Amalek Kodesh Baruch Hashem answered, you do you, and I'll do me. You do what you need to do, and I'll do what I need to do. So Moshe went next to the tent, but Hashem first went before him. And the heavenly voice went out and answered, this is how many children are inside each and every tent. Which leads Rav Druk to ask, So who's really doing the census here? It's not Hashem. 
It's not Moshe, rather. Moshe goes to each and every tent, and a heavenly voice goes out from each tent saying, six in here, nine here, 12 children in here, four in here. So who really did the census, Hashem or Moshe? Hashem. So why are we attributing it to Moshe? And moreover, if Hashem, if you're doing the census, if a heavenly voice of Basko is going out of each and every tent, so why do I have to bother going around to each of the tents? Just Hashem, give me the final number. Give me the total result. Give me the, email me the spreadsheet. And Hashem says to Moshe, you do you, you do what you need to do, I'll do what I need to do. What did Moshe do? So it says, Rav Jokanira Bezeh, Shalamadnu Kanyisod Gadol Bechovas Avodas Adam Ba'olamo. There's an incredibly important life lesson here. We learn from here about a person's job obligation in their world. La'olam Eina Adam Zochel Asiyata Deshmaya, Elam Kenu Osa Es Komashimutal Alav, Ad Ketzegvul Yucholaso. A person has to take initiative. A person has to start up. A person has to be proactive. A person has to do what they need to do. You go as far as you can go. And then you let go and let God, and Hashem does the rest. What prompted the heavenly voice to come from each tent was Moshe arriving there. Hishtadlas. Hashem designed and created such a world that we need to do Hishtadlas. You cannot sit back passively, casually on your couch and think the Parnassah is going to flow. You can't sit back and think the Rafua is going to come. person has to take initiative. Person has to be proactive. Person has to make an effort. We have to do what's meant of us, and then Hashem will meet us and will complete what's coming. So it's true, a Kodesh Baruch Hu could have done it all, but that's not the way of the world. He could also make us better without going to a doctor, and he could also make money appear in our bank account without working for Parnassah, but that's not the way of the world. He wants us to make our effort, and he wants us to take our initiative. The way of the world is to exert ourselves, and that's what it means, the Gemara, Yagatu Matsasa Tamim. Only Yagata, only if we make an effort, then Matsasa. Only believe the person who says, I toiled, I made my effort. You don't trip and you don't come upon without making the effort. Lefum Tzara Agra, according to the effort of the reward, Hashem says, toil. Because only when you work hard will it all be worth it. It's not on you to finish the work. However, you also can't say, then why bother getting started? The Rabbeinu Yonah writes on that Mishnah that we have to do our part and Hashem will meet us halfway. You see this Bas Paro, he quotes here, he has a long essay, Rav Druk, on this idea. Beautiful, quoting from all over. Bas Paro, Bisya Bas Paro is in the river. She sees baby Moshe floating. She reaches out. Why did she reach out? Fool's errand. She couldn't reach, she was too far away. The answer is, she took initiative, she did her part, and then Hashem made a miracle, her arm outstretched and she was able to reach. And he brings many, many examples of this. We need to know, we have to take our initiative, we have to make our effort, we have to be proactive. And the result doesn't necessarily correspond with the effort that we make. When we make an effort, then the result comes, wherever it comes, corresponding with our effort or coming from left field. But we need to make our effort. What precipitated the catalyst, what prompted that Baskol coming from each tent, was Moshe first had to go to each tent. When he went to each tent, Hashem said, you do Shalcha, I do Misheli. You take your initiative, I'll make sure the result comes. Without your initiative, there won't be a result. You have to do your part, and then I will do my part. My part. There is no Parsha Shir next week. Not because I'm traveling, but because next Shabbos there's no Parsha. Next Shabbos is the Yontif of Shavuos, so there's no Parsha Kshir next week. We'll resume Amir Tzashem the week after. Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, stay holy, and have a wonderful Yontif.